It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in Brooklyn to speak with Doug Norrie of Locked On Nets about Kevin Durant's injury and the acquisition of Blake Griffin. We go to Indiana to speak with Tony East of Locked On Pacers about Karis LeVert's successful return to the court across the weekend. And then lastly, we go to Oklahoma City to speak with Ryland Stiles about the Thunder continuing to win games despite that roster that they've got. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi guys, welcome back to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, and I'm the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Lots of interesting stuff happening across the NBA, so let's check in with a few of the Locked On Podcast Network hosts uh, to see what's going on. Now I'm joined by one of the hosts of the Locked On Nets podcast. Doug Norrie is here with me. Doug, we haven't uh, we haven't spoken since the uh, since the Nets uh, decided they were bringing in Blake Griffin. We'll get to that in a second. But can you tell us what's actually going on here with Kevin Durant? Because he hurt his hamstring, and then initially the reports, you know, Stephen Nash, oh, he'll be out the next two days. And I thought, oh, that's that's a short time frame. Must be just something, just a little bit of soreness. But we are a month on. From this hamstring injury, he's getting a scan apparently this coming week, and then there'll be a slow ramp up. Like, how concerning is this hamstring problem, or are they just being overly cautious with, uh, you know, one of the best players in the NBA? Yeah, it's hard to tell with the Nets these days because their track record around forthrightness around injuries is not to say they're subversive about it, but they don't have a best track record of being of having the timelines match up with the reality of what actually happens. We came off a season with this with Kyrie Irving actually last year, where it was like, Hey, it's a shoulder impingement and it's going to be a few, you know, a few days or whatever. And then it turned out to be weeks. And then it was the rest of the season. And then Kyrie obviously sits out at the beginning of the season. And the it's huge question marks. I bring those up only because they're not specifically related to Duran, but there's a sort of a timeline here where, it becomes concerning because, right, it's like, oh, it's just for a few games and it's through the All-Star break. And then it's, well, now we're through the All-Star break and now it's a few more games. And I don't think the injury itself is that serious. I think that they're just playing it. I think they are playing it super close to the vest with it. And I think that they're just being, I, my guess is it's, it's with the abundance of caution more than fear, but that the the scale for me on that tips each bit a little day where he doesn't play. So I think a week from now, my, my concern will probably be ramped up a little bit more, but I, I yeah, I, it, this is all to say, I'm not sure. I'm not totally crazy concerned yet, but I also know that just because the Nets say two games, there's a long history of that not being 
what the ca- the actual case is when it comes to you know guys coming back from injury. Yeah, we can even go back to D'Angelo Russell and his knee injury a couple of a uh, couple of years ago. The, the same sort of thing happened. It was like you know, they didn't mention anything. Then all of a sudden he was having surgery and then he was out for weeks at a time. And they are you know, pretty cagey with that sort of stuff. They're not the only team in the NBA that does that. Um, but obviously when it's a player of the nature of Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant, that focus is going to be there. Durant, um, yeah, again, I don't expect to see him this week. And um, the other the other injury thing is yeah, Blake Griffin, who yeah, was acquired around the All-Star break um, and wasn't ready to go. And they're ramping him up. They, they keep saying as he you know, comes back from, he claims his knee is fine, but they're trying to make sure that everything is ready to go. So uh, would, you expect, would you expect Griffin back before Durant? Yeah, I think yeah. I think Durant, or excuse me, I think Griffin will be back before Durant and playing. I think they're probably just going through a phase of to make sure that he is kind of game ready because he wasn't playing for Detroit near the end of it either. So there has been a timetable of him sort of not playing. I don't think the Detroit thing was, or maybe it might have started as an injury piece and then they knew they were going to kind of buy him out. So they they just you know started playing the young guys. But um, I do believe Griffin will be back first. I don't actually think he's going to make a huge impact to start. And so I think even coming back, I don't expect there to be incredible incredibly robust minutes for him. But um, in terms of just overall timeline, I think his timeline is ahead of Durant's right now. Uh, but obviously the impact is much less. Well, that, that's the question with with Griffin as well. And it's not not his knees, but you know, people ask me this all the time, like what sort of role is he going to have on, on this Nets team? And you know, uh, with Durant, with Irving, with Harden and with Harris, like they're four guys who have got locked in roles when they're all healthy. So the other position there is center. And we've had DeAndre Jordan start games there. You've had Jeff Green start games there. You've had Nick Claxton look the best of the bunch, in my opinion, yep. really, in the time that he's been playing. So you know, what what is Griffin's role going to be? Is there a chance he's not a guy that even plays in the rotation every single night? Because you know, Bruce Brown's had success as a center. Landry Shamit's on a really hot shooting streak at the moment. Um, Timotei Luawu-Cabro, he's probably expendable out of the rotation, but he's had his moments this year as well. So there's all these guys who have contributed and contributed in ways that you could say have been better than the way that Blake Griffin's actually played this season when he was a member of the Pistons. So where does he fit in? Is he just an emergency guy, a quick-hitting 18-minute guy off the bench, say, that comes in as a bit of a ball handler? But... Most of the time, they're going to have one of KD, Kyrie, or Harden on the court, so he's going to be a secondary guy at best. So I don't really understand where where he fits in. It's just like, well, this is Blake Griffin. We know his name and you know, how impactful he has been in the past, but in terms of the fit, I'm not really sure how it all can work with this Brooklyn team. I think, well, the good news, okay, so the good news on Blake is two things. One, I'm really glad that he's not starting in the starting lineup because I think that would have pressed them into a situation where he was going to need to play his way out of it. And we've seen with DeAndre Jordan that that's at times came at the expense of better players, right? Like Jared Allen at the time. So I'm glad that he's not starting in the starting lineup. Two, I think in terms of overall impact, we've seen that James Harden now has the ability, and Jackson Gatlin said this on his podcast as well too, so I'm piggybacking this a little bit, but it's very clear when you watch him play, is that James Harden has the ability to make any big basically good, right? <laughs> like he's yeah. made Bruce Brown into a functional offensive center at times, and Bruce Brown's 6'2 or whatever. So the the part where Blake is able to contribute probably factors as much in with how Harden's able to get him into a role, whether that means like double big high post sets, which they could probably end up running. Like I could see him playing with Claxton a little bit. Um, I think that there's probably a functional role for him. I don't think it's going to be a robust role. I don't think it's going to be like that dissimilar to what maybe Jeff Green is doing right now, like small ball five ish kind of stuff. I, I, 
I think there's a world where he could probably play up to 20 minutes a game off the bench, and there's a world where he could play as few as 10. I think they've left themselves that leeway by bringing him in off the bench. But I don't think – I don't think – He's not going to be better than Nick Claxton, is my guess, right? Claxton, like no, you mentioned, not. he's been sort of like a revelation in terms of how good he's been. He's been okay on offense. He's been amazing on defense. And so I don't think, like, you definitely wouldn't want Blake's role to come at the expense of a guy like Claxton. That's my biggest concern, really, at this point. It's like, are his minutes going to come in favor of Claxton? That would be a, probably a pretty big net negative. But can he functionally play in a high pick-and-roll offense with James Harden? James Harden can play that role with that. Anybody. So I think from that standpoint, you it's it's hard to be super low on Blake. I, I don't think I'm incredibly high on him because I probably trend more toward the he's cooked camp than maybe some other people do. But I do think it'll be a function of one, how much he plays with Harden. Two, as long as he doesn't take minutes away from some of these other bigs like Claxton. Um, and three, the fact that he's coming off the bench probably just gives him the leeway to make a real honest assessment without having to pin themselves into a, a set role from early on. Last question, quick answer from you. Who's the best player on this team? Oh, it's Kevin Durant. I will say, though. Is it, though? <laughs> it's, it's, it, it, well, well, right now, no. Right now, it's James Harden because Kevin Durant's not playing. So it is, it is James Harden right now. Um, I think that oh, – it's such a hard question. I never thought I'd answer this one like this. <laughs> it's, I think it's easy to forget how good Durant is because he's just not playing right now. Yeah. And if you have – if you have – if you're making the decision on who the best team, the player on your team is between Kevin Durant or James Harden – you are will probably see in the championships, and like I think that ends up being <laughs> sort of sort of the answer. But um, it's Harden right now, but that's by a function of um, whatever property of mathematics when you remove something. I forget which one that is, but the, the the property where Kevin Durant has been removed from the equation means right now it's Harden. But I think it's easy to forget that when these two are together, it's a real discussion, and then the discussion then becomes what the team's ceiling is more than who's the better player. Well, it is going to be interesting to see how this all works out when Durant comes back, how Griffin looks. Doug, you're going to cover it for us all over on Locked On Nets. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. All right. Thanks a lot, Josh. Wouldn't it be great if there was a pocket-sized guide that helped you sleep, focus, act, and be better? There is. And if you have 10 minutes, Headspace can change your life. Headspace is the daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. Overwhelmed? Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. It's great. You know, the stress of the NBA season when you're covering it and trying to do everything around it, it just takes so much time and you need to be able to unwind. And Headspace has been great for me. You deserve to feel happier. I deserve to feel happier. And Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash LockedOnMBA. That's headspace.com slash LockedOnMBA for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now, so head to headspace.com slash LockedOnNBA today. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit by using the promo code LOCKEDON. BetOnline are your online sportsbook experts.
March Madness is here, and that means bracket challenges. Join our Locked On Listener Bracket Challenge group on ESPN. Submit your March Madness picks, beat your favorite hosts, and if you win, you'll get a guest appearance on Locked On Today, our daily news podcast. The link to join is in the show notes of this episode. Get your picks in today. Now let's talk Indiana Pacers with one of the hosts of the Locked On Pacers podcast. Tony East is here. Tony, people may or may not have seen this, but Karis LeVert is back. He played his first game for the Pacers over the weekend after recovering from the uh, surgery on his kidney to remove the cancerous mass. Um, We all know that it's awesome news that he's back. He's playing. It's great that his health is 100% and he's back playing basketball as 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 quick as he is. But how did he actually look on the court? Yeah, you know, you you expect some rust from a guy who has seven weeks off, and there was definitely some of that for Levert, you know, a little shaky handle for turnovers. But it's hard to get picky when it's his first game in six and a half weeks, even more than that, honestly, since there was some time before the, the mass was discovered. Uh, 13.7 rebounds, two assists was his stat line in his first game. Had some nice jumpers coming around to pick and roll. Had a few nice passes to Sabonis in pick and rolls as well. Uh, definitely looked comfortable handling the ball and, and providing another off-the-dribble threat, which the Pacers desperately need since they, you know, their record is clearly not where the team wants it to be. The seven rebounds really stood out. A couple of those were offensive. The team really needs offensive rebounding and rebounding in general this year. If he can give them some size in the glass, that'd be nice. So, uh, definitely some rust in his first performance, but you know, definitely showed all this, all the you know, all the little tiny things that the Pacers will need him to do for him to help the team be better. You say that's rust, but that's also just Karis Levert. Like he's not a low turnover player; he's a high <laughs> yeah. turnover player. He can be inefficient shooting. He's a poor free throw shooter, and we saw all those things. So it wasn't that far off, sort of what he is in terms of that yeah player type profile. But his minutes will, will go up. He was straight into the starting lineup ahead of Doug McDermott, um, and it just gives them that extra option. Option now to be that other ball handler because obviously McDermott's not that ball handler, but another guy that can create, create his own shot, can shoot, can play some defense. And I think it is, yeah, he, he does have to get used to playing with Sabonis and playing with Turner and playing with Brogdon and playing with all those guys and how that all fits in and getting his rust and his conditioning back. But I, I don't think anyone could have been disappointed with the output that we saw from Levert, not only just having him out there at all, but the way he he fitted in, in that in that big win for the Pacers across the weekend. It was huge. Um, I imagine that his playing time is going to increase over the coming, uh, coming days or, or coming weeks, Tony. Yeah, you know, Nate Bjorkren before that game didn't say – he said that Levert didn't have a minutes restriction in that game, but that doesn't mean that they're, you know, not easing him in or anything like that. He did pull him out uh, pretty quick in the quarters, about six minutes in, which given the way Bjorkren handles minutes is pretty early for him, uh, subbing anyone out of the game. So I'm imagining his minutes will definitely go up uh, as the season goes on, and especially because Jeremy Lamb was out in this game, so their rotation was a little bit – different than it would have been anyway when they're fully healthy. So I'm imagining when Lamb's back and things are a little more stable, you know, maybe Aaron Holiday or Edmund Sumner's not playing at all, then we'll see uh, closer to Karras' full minutes, and he's got to get back in game shape right in general. So uh, I I think he'll definitely climb up in the minutes for sure. But, it, you know, getting 28, I think, 27 minutes in his debut is nice, and uh, Bjorkman's not going to be shy about playing guys' minutes if he thinks they should play. So we'll, we'll see how much that number climbs up to. Yeah, Bjorkman's been playing guys some pretty large minutes, you know, 37, 36 for Brock. For, uh, Ogden and Sabonis uh, plenty of times this season. So if Levert can get up to that, obviously that would be really interesting to see how he fits in with this squad. But um, the other bloke who's out of this team, Tony, TJ Warren. It's uh, been a long time. He's had a, uh, a stress fracture in, in his foot after dealing with the you know, plantar fasciitis issues earlier in the season in, in that foot. Um, and uh, you know, where, where are we at with him? Is he going to actually return this regular season? You know, 
I don't know is my starting answer, which is terrible analysis. There are there are some signs he will return this year. One is that the Pacers did not apply for a disabled player exception, which is something you get if you think a player is going to be out for the year. They didn't even apply. They didn't even bother. So that is potentially a sign they think he'll be back this year. The other one is Bjorkren was giving answers to in a press conference about a, maybe four weeks ago, a little under a month ago discussing Levert and Warren's injuries timelines and without getting, you know, he, he never gives specific dates on injury timelines, but he did say for both players, he said they are this season things, you know, they are this season injuries. They're not, you know, all season or into next season things. So the expectation from that is that Warren would return this season. He is on the Pacers current road trip. You know, he's traveling, he's sitting on the back of the bench. He occasionally shows up on broadcast and, you know, we, we ask about it all the time in media sessions, but you know, no concrete data set and he is still in, a boot. I'm not sure how much longer he will be in the boot, but he's still in a boot, which makes me think he's probably still at a minimum six weeks away. So probably maybe end of April, early May would be a target if he does come back this year, which again, the signs indicate he should come back this year. But the fact that he's still in a boot and hasn't played since December uh, points to maybe not. So we'll see. But there are signs that he'll play this year. Do you think the paces are going to be active at the trade deadline, which is a bit under two weeks away? Uh, if they had the record they thought they would have, maybe. Maybe they would go for, you know, the, there were reports from the Indianapolis Star that they were interested in Garrett Temple. I think that kind of level of trade is something they they might be interested in. You know, trade a, get a guy who would only require second round value. They have three second rounders in the upcoming draft. The record's not where they want it to be. It might make some sense to do a minor move like that. But the, their record isn't good enough to make a big move and trade for, you know, give up a first round pick for someone awesome when at best you're looking at the sixth seed. And they, they don't, you know, maybe they have two expiring guys, McConnell and McDermott, who maybe they would. Maybe they, they would consider selling off, considering that they're underwhelming. But I think they want to see, you know, Levert plus a, a fully healthy roster, and I doubt they'll sell anyone super important. So I am imagining they will mostly stand pat unless they do something very minor. Yeah, that's obviously the the, the whisper always around is is around Miles Turner and where his future lies, um, and you know concerns I guess from Pacers fans here that his name always seems to be bandied about. Is do you think there's any movement there? Do you think that the you know failed Boston issue earlier this season um, has has blown over and they've enjoyed what they've seen from Miles this season? Yeah, this is, this is his best season impactfully of his career. You know, his his offensive numbers are about the same. They'll always probably be about what they are right now. But his def- this is the best his defense has ever been. He looks really good uh, on that end. And even on offense, as the numbers are worse, he doesn't shoot like ever. You know, he shoots like five shots a game, eight shots a game. So to, to put up the numbers he does is still nice for the Pacers. He looks a lot more decisive. He's not as much of a cog as he like a, a bad cog, not a good cog as he was in the past. So I think they're happy with him. And, you know, the minutes with just him and the minutes with just bonus are still great when they're together. Not so much. Uh, so maybe they try to move on and sort that out in the future. I think the team wants to see how they can work in a playoff setting. Although I think we all kind of can envision what that will look like. I think the concrete evidence is still something the team would like to have. So I don't think Turner would get moved. It's always a possibility considering they drafted Goga and the two centers don't necessarily fit together. That, uh, that he could get moved at some point. But I'm not thinking this year is the year for that. Tony, it is going to be super interesting to see how Levert meshes with this team. Just great to have him back. And hopefully this can turn the Pacers season around. You'll have it covered for us all over on Locked on Pacers. Thanks, thanks for coming on Locked on NBA with me. Yeah, Josh, thanks for having me.
We've been telling you about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market for a while now. Built Bar is the amazing low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, amazing tasting protein bar with 100% chocolate on all bars. And now it's time to find out which Built Bar is the best. It is Built Bar Madness. You can go across to the Built Bar website, builtbar.com, and you can check out how the bracket is shaping up at the moment and vote on today's matchup. We have got one bar so far, I think, into the enticing eight, and that is cookies and cream, rightfully so. But you can check out some of the other matchups to see if your favorite is going to make it through all the way through to the championship game. So go to builtbar.com or go to bar underscore built on Twitter. And remember, when you go to order the best tasting protein bar ever, Built Bar, use the promo code LOCKEDON15 to get 15% off your next order. That is locked, sorry, LOCKED15, not locked on, LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order at builtbar.com and check back to see who won today's matchup and who will become the best tasting protein bar ever. Hey guys, it's Walker Mail, host of the Locked On Hornets podcast, and being around sports media and a fan of the Hornets for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what-if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip actually have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former Sports Center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad free right now by joining Wondery. Plus. Now we talk to the host of the Locked On Thunder podcast, Ryland Styles is here. Ryland, his name isn't mentioned much. There will be plenty of people who don't even know who the guy is, but he is the coach of the Oklahoma City Thunder, Mark Dagnote. Um, and he won't get votes. He won't get mentioned. He won't get a top three finish. But the job that he is doing, I, I think people should be talking about more, more about what he is doing in terms of coach of the year, because this is a team that was general managed to be the worst team in the NBA, to lose as many games as possible, yet they are, what, half a game out of the play-in spot, 11th seed in the uh, in the Western Conference. They are ahead of the Pelicans and Kings, two teams who are trying to win. Although, sorry, they're two games behind the Grizzlies and 17 and 22, and it's a remarkable effort. Even look, the, the lineup that we saw on Sunday with just everyone basically sitting out and pull off another win against the Grizzlies, he has been remarkable. Yeah, he, he's been fantastic, and... I've gone as far to say, and I'll still go as far to say that he's the best coach in Thunder history. And look, that's not saying too much that Thunder's only had four coaches and one's PJ Carlissimo, but what he's been able to do has been nothing short of amazing. I mean, even in this game specifically from Sunday, you don't have George Hill. You don't have Darius Baisley, Lou Dort, Tail Maldon. Those are humongous pieces of this team. You're supposed to be in a losing season, and he takes SGA with Ty Jerome, Moses Brown, Alexei Pogoshevsky, and Justin Jackson as his starting five, and he has them playing as hard as they would if it's game seven of the NBA Finals. And that seems kind of elementary to praise how hard they play, but look around the NBA. A lot of teams will sandbag a few games here and there. The Thunder always give 110% every single game, and it catches a lot of teams off guard because a lot of teams look at them as a team that they should roll over so they don't take their A game into this matchup, and eventually they're going to have to because what Mark has done with – 
that starting five and Kenny Hustle and Isaiah Roby off the bench. And then in this game, randomly, Darius Miller gets 20 minutes as most of, of the season. What he's been able to accomplish and the systems he's running has been something that Thunder fans have wanted for 10 years in Oklahoma City. And they finally got it now on a team that's supposed to lose. It's amazing what the Thunder have found in this season. Yeah, look, it's been fantastic promoting. Look, they took a while to hire their coach, promoting from within. But you're right, some of these names that are out there, you know, playing minutes like Ty Jerome starting and uh, you know, second round pick Teo Maladon and Alexei Pokashevsky going bananas again today. Um, that, and for a guy that looked lost when he began the year, you know, going down into the G League, so it's not just Dagnota, it's the development coaches as well. But him using yeah you know, Pokashevsky in this sort of role, um, it's it's been been remarkable. Now. Do you think that because they are playing at this level, that Sam Presti is just going to be like, "Hey, I'm, I'm sorry, like we we can't we can't just keep doing this." Like, is he going to be annoyed at this fact? Because we're getting to a stage where there's just not that many guys that they can actually trade away, and one of the guys they could trade away, George Hill, isn't even playing. So it's not like they're going to be saying, "Well, you guys are playing too well. Um, we need to get rid of Isaiah Roby, or we need to trade Pokyshevsky, or we need to trade off Moses Brown because they're playing too well." So. How does the franchise balance the way that they're playing and the great coaching and the great development and the fantastic form of these guys with the, I guess, desire to you know, get themselves a high draft pick? Because it's not they're not working at the moment in, in that direction, and it's, and it's good and bad in some ways. Yeah, I think that you're already seeing that. I mean, trading Hamadou Diallo for C. Mikhailuk, both guys who are in contract years and one of them's been really good in Diallo and Sfi has not been good and Sfi only really has one tool. Now it's a great tool in shooting. And I think those numbers will get even better in Oklahoma city with the system Mark runs and the ball movement Oklahoma city has. I think his shooting numbers will go better than what they have been so far this year, but Diallo does a lot more than Sfi and he's a lot better player than Sfi. Uh, and, and to trade him like that out of the blue makes this team worse for no real gain outside of that 2027 second round pick down the line. I think that you're seeing the peripheral moves. I think that you can see Muscala get traded. And already until today, Muscala had not played in the second half because they were trying to set Muscala in a pseudo-tank move because Muscala's been off the charts this year for Oklahoma City uh, offensively. And until today, whenever they had nine available players, he did not play. I think that you'll see those kind of moves. Again, George Hill, you mentioned it, is not even playing right now. And whenever he was playing, it wasn't like he was the single reason or the sole reason why the team won. So... The only other move I think could happen, because I, I still am a believer that you cannot trade out Horford. His contract's too big in season. That's got an off-season ordeal. The only thing in season that would perk your ears up in the ter- in terms of this team is act- actively trying to tank is if they trade Kendrick Williams, because Williams can really help contenders. He does a- all the little things correct. He is a really fascinating bench player and can really be good as a rotational piece. If they trade him with the contract he's on before March 25th, it's clear what the message is from Sam Presti. Yeah, that that that, that is true. Like he's just a, a great, you know, eighth, ninth man bench guy who defends and and passes well and does all the all the little things that that are important to uh yeah to to a team and to to winning. Now, I guess last thing here with the Thunder, um, we've talked about Pokusevsky again, so I, I but I want to keep talking about him because he's fascinating. What do you think? Because you know, at the start, he was played into that backup power forward role, and he struggled. He didn't get to the free throw line. He couldn't shoot at all. And now he started, what, two or three games here in a row, one at small forward, two at power forward, or actually he might have been at small forward again today, um, and put up two really big games. Where do you think the Thunder view him in terms of prospect hierarchy? Will we see him as a regular starter for the rest of the season? How does he compare to, say, a Darius Baisley, who's out at the moment? What, what can Thunder fans look forward to 
or even NBA fans that want to see something completely ridiculous and fun. Like, what are we going to see from Pokyshevsky? Will he be back to a bench role, or will they just say, no, look, you're playing 30 minutes. Let's go. Let's see what happens. You know, I think it's interesting to see what happens when Baisley comes back, because with Baisley back and Dort back and Maldon back, there's not really a spot for him to start outside of the games whenever you know Al Horford sits on the second half back-to-back. And I think that just in this specific year, with the way that he's played to this point and his up-and-down play, he came on a bit before this injury to start the second half, I think that you could see Baisley hang on to that starter role, but minutes increase for Poku, because I don't know how much confidence will be lost from Baisley if he loses that starting job. Whereas with Pokashevsky, we've already seen his confidence cannot be rattled. You can go 0 for 8. He wouldn't care. The next night, he's going to shoot 20 shots. This guy has a special mindset in that way. In terms of the long-term picture, I still would put him, of course, below Shea. I still think that they believe Maldon can become something special. And and Pokashevsky was the house money pick. That's not even the, the, the beginning of the Thunder's 20 million first round picks in the future. They knew entering that draft and they knew entering this career of Pokashevsky that the chances of him hitting are slim to none. But if he does hit though, he does so many unique and fascinating things for a seven footer that he could be a Kristaps Porzingis type unicorn, just a versatile seven footer who can ball handle, who can pass, who can shoot. They knew that if it does hit, it's going to pan out greatly, but there's a good chance it won't hit. So watching the ups and downs right now, the Thunder fans and NBA fans get to be in this great position where you can't even really evaluate this guy or put a ceiling on him or a floor on him for another two or three years. He's coming over from basically playing in the YMCA. So I don't think that you can really do anything but appreciate games like this where he scores 23 points. He's the youngest player in Thunder history to score 20 points, a bit of a misleading stat there because they do not count the Seattle aspect where Kevin Durant did it his second game in the NBA. But still, Poku has been phenomenal this year, and he's fun to watch because of that confidence because he'll have those shacked in a full place where he tries to do too much because he firmly believes in himself, and he's talked about how Mark and and his teammates believe in him, which has given him even more confidence moving forward. It is going to be fun to watch. It's a great excitement for the Thunder, knowing what they've got coming down the pipe as well in terms of draft picks and, and where this team's going and yeah, just building off youthful youthful exuberance and uh, some great coaching from Dagnote. Ryland, thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. Thank you for having me. Members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.